Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Oh my gosh. And I was grossed out. Nature's deadliest organisms. This was becoming a Christmas from hell. They can hijack our bodies. Man up. This is Christmas morning. Disable our immune systems. I just burst into tears. And eat us from within. Here's my holiday. I was so afraid. For those infected this holiday season. Parasites don't care if it's the holidays. They are the monsters inside me. Newlyweds Tara Derman and Andy Cahill live in New York City. Tara is a children's book author. And Andy is a former emergency medical technician who now works in finance. We had a kind of typical New York couple's life, going to work, being exhausted, always wishing for more time to do what we really love to do in life. And what we really wanted to do was travel around the world. So we both decided that we would quit our jobs and leave shortly after our wedding. Most of our friends were buying houses. We decided, ah, who really needs a house? Wouldn't it be better to leave and go and travel for a year or two years? So Tara and Andy put their careers on hold and head south. We went clockwise around South America and then back up through Central America. There's so much to see out there. We traveled through Patagonia and saw incredible mountains in the Andes. We saw Iguazu Falls and Angel Falls. And we met lots of terrific people and ate tons of delicious street food. We were pretty much having the time of our lives. Six months into their global adventure, they take a break to visit their families for the holidays. We went home for Christmas before going off to see Africa. It's always nice to come back to the United States after traveling for a long time. I was definitely looking forward to having Christmas at home in America. And we were looking forward to hot water coming out of the taps. Little luxuries like that that we had taken for granted. But among all the comforts of home, something unexpected is awaiting this adventurous pair. It's the week before Christmas, and the couple is visiting family at Andy's mother's home in Terre Haute, Indiana. We were really excited to reunite with everyone, and suddenly I just get this strange pain on my scalp underneath my hair. It just lasted for a second or two, and then it went away, so I didn't think too much about it. But later that night, the pain returns. We're getting ready for bed, and I feel the stabbing pain again. This time, it felt kind of like this hot needle was stabbing me there. I wondered if possibly I might have picked up head lice. Head lice are parasites that feed on human blood. They are usually transmitted through direct contact with the hair of an infected person. I really didn't like this idea very much because I just, I don't like bugs. They freak me out. But I asked Andy if he would mind taking a look at my scalp. And I groggily said, okay. I looked but there weren't any lice that I could see. For Tara, this comes as welcome news. At least then I knew that I didn't have some sort of bug crawling around on my scalp or else he would have been able to see it. 
I did feel a little bit relieved. But Andy does discover something else. There were two red bites that looked like they were mosquito bites that were a little inflamed. They were a little red as though they might have been infected, but nothing to be overly concerned about. Everything seemed to be okay, and I quickly fell back asleep. For the next four days, Tara tries to ignore the red bumps until Christmas Day rolls around. The whole family had gathered for Christmas dinner, and I'm getting the stabbing pain in my head again. I was concerned about what was going on. So when Andy got up to go to the bathroom, I followed him. I grabbed him in the hallway and said, hey, I'm still getting these stabbing pains in my head. It's getting worse. Can you take another look? Tara leads Andy to the bathroom, where he re-examines the bites on her scalp. They became slightly larger in size. But during our travels, we got bit all the time by mosquitoes, sometimes by spiders or by ants, which were all fine. So these two small mosquito bites really didn't worry me. But Tara remains troubled. I know that mosquitoes can carry different diseases. So I wondered, could I have some sort of infection in my body like malaria? Malaria is a parasitic infection of the blood caused by a single-celled parasite called plasmodium. Transmitted by mosquitoes, the infection affects an estimated 216 million people worldwide each year. When left untreated, it can be fatal. At this, Andy said, what, are you crazy? That's ridiculous. I was bothered that she was spending so much time trying to think about what was causing these two little mosquito bites to hurt. It wasn't that serious. But I suggested maybe you want to use some of the antibiotic pills we have. Tara spends the rest of Christmas masking her pain from Andy's family. Seven days later, as New Year's Day rolls around, the couple travels to Long Island in New York to visit Tara's family. Andy and I are in the living room with my parents. We're watching some TV. I didn't even want there to be a chance that they would notice that something was going on with me. So I just excused myself and said I was really tired from our trip that day, and I went off to bed. Andy was asleep beside me, and the pains were getting so intense that they would actually wake me up. Tara continued to wake up during the night, and when Tara wakes up during the night, she wakes me up during the night, and I don't like anything that wakes me up. So between that and her saying repeatedly that these mosquito bites were really hurting her, I became more annoyed than concerned. I was a little bit annoyed that he wasn't taking me so seriously. I kind of felt like now I really was on my own with this problem, and it's just really starting to ruin my time with my family. The next day, Tara takes matters into her own hands. Since Andy and I didn't have health insurance, it was time for me to start searching the internet. I just started typing in search terms like Central America, tropical, stabbing pain, mosquito bite. I finally came across this forum where people had come back from Central America and they were getting these stabbing pains every few hours. I took a look at some pictures and my heart just dropped. I was completely horrified. I got Andy and I said, I think I figured it out. You have to come take a look at this website. Just do it for me. Look at this. I think I figured it out. I said, look, this person and this person and this person, they're all describing the same thing. 
So I thought I had botfly larvae in my head. The botfly maggot is a parasite that feeds off its host's flesh. I said, that's crazy. You have a couple of mosquito bites. You don't have bugs in your head. Knowing quite well that she has a fear of bugs, but also fully believing that it made no sense that she could have bugs living in her head. I wanted to prove to him that I wasn't making this up, that I really did have these things in my scalp. So Tara urges Andy to review the information. This website said one way you could see if you actually had these was to put a little bit of Vaseline over the top and they would come up to try to breathe. So I said, okay, well, this sounds like fun. Despite his reluctance, Andy, who's a former emergency medical technician, proceeds with this mock operation. So we have Vaseline on these two mosquito bites in her head and I stand there staring at them I'm making comments about how there's nothing coming up and this has been fun, but everything is fine. All of a sudden, after about 30 seconds, I said, oh my gosh. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Midway through the holiday season, world travelers Tara Derman and Andy Cahill have just confirmed that something is crawling inside Tara's scalp. I said, oh my gosh. This little worm popped its head up through the Vaseline. Much to my surprise, it turned out that she actually did have botfly larvae living in her head. I just burst into tears and I was grossed out that these things were living inside of my scalp. Inside Tara's skin, the botfly larvae are feeding off her blood and flesh. The larvae are covered with jagged spines. As the creatures burrow into her scalp, they cause excruciating pangs of pain. The botfly is a large, densely-haired fly called Dermatobia hominis, which is native to Central and South America. And its offspring, the botfly maggots, can develop anywhere on the human body, including the arms, the legs, and even the scalp. I felt pretty bad because I'd been kind of mean to her over the couple of weeks prior to that. As it turned out, she had a real concern. I was just pretty much freaking out. I didn't know if I was going to have to go to the hospital. 
I really didn't want to have to see a doctor, especially since Andy and I didn't have health insurance. Faced with this tricky conundrum, Andy devises a plan. If there was any redemption for me, it was going to be getting the botfly larva out of her head. Andy, with his medical background, wanted a chance to see if he could get them out of me himself. While sleuthing the internet, Andy discovers a do-it-yourself botfly extraction technique. And that night, the couple gives it a shot. We decided to try using new skin, which is that liquid bandage stuff that is sticky but then dries in place. We sealed over both of the holes with the liquid bandage, and that would cut off the airflow. And if you were lucky, the botfly larva would also get stuck to the tape so that you could easily pull it out. The couple must wait 12 hours to suffocate the maggots. The following morning, Andy tries to extract them. I wake up a little bit like it's Christmas Day, and we're going to get to see what the packages hold, so to speak. We slowly peel off the new skin and can immediately see that the first one we peel off, the larva is dead. He successfully removes the lifeless maggot. But unfortunately, as soon as I pulled off the covering from the second larva, it started gasping for air again and was still alive. So Andy arms himself with a pair of tweezers. We had to be really careful because we'd read online that if any part of the larva gets stuck in your head, it can become terribly infected, and then you really do have to see a doctor. As I started to pull on the worm with the tweezers, it was almost like a rubber band. It stretched a lot. And he was saying, it's still coming. I can't believe how long this is. It's still coming out. Those barbs are still there, and you have to pull very slowly so as not to rip them out. The stretching makes you start to worry, oh, what if it breaks? But he manages to extract the maggot intact. I was very happy as I was sitting there looking at it, kind of enthralled by exactly how it functioned. That was when I really appreciated my husband. If he hadn't been so fearless and adventurous, then he wouldn't have been able to pull both of these larvae out of me. But how did Tara get this bizarre infection? And what does the botfly have to do with the mosquito bites on her scalp? When the female botfly is ready to lay its eggs, it seeks out a mosquito. Then it does something amazing. In mid-flight, it attaches its eggs to the mosquito's underbelly with a sticky substance. When the mosquito takes a blood meal from a human host, the body's warmth melts the sticky substance, and the botfly eggs fall onto the skin where they hatch. The tiny botfly larvae then burrow into the skin of the human, even through the bite hole left by the mosquito, and then they start to feed on blood and tissue. Tara believes she contracted the infection while traveling in Belize. I'm pretty sure that where I picked mine up was in this jaguar reserve in the jungle. And when it got hot and I took off my hat, that's when they caught me. Tara's symptoms immediately vanish. And as their family holiday comes to an end, they take off on their next adventure to Africa and beyond. We traveled for another year and a half after the botfly experience. But I'll tell you, I always wore my hat when we were hiking through the jungle after that. To prevent becoming infected, travelers in endemic areas such as South and Central America should use deep-based insect repellent and wear clothing that covers the skin and scalp. This Christmas, 
A loving wife looks on as her athletic husband falls apart before her very eyes. Am I going to lose Ian? How could this have happened? Ian and Julie Liu are a married couple that live in Falls Church, Virginia, in the suburbs of D.C. They've been together for more than 20 years. We sort of met accidentally on the dance floor. I looked over and I saw Julie. She was dancing with another guy. I leaned in to Julie and said, you don't really want to be with this guy, do you? And she kind of giggled. Ian had just finished the Coast Guard Academy. I had just finished high school, and we knew this was right. Now they run a busy household, raising their three sons. I'm always chasing them around, whether it's a soccer game or a school activity. He takes them to the gym, and they swim at the pool together. He coaches for the swim team. He's always been into physical fitness, and I think it sets a wonderful example to the boys. But this Christmas, an uninvited guest may cripple this active family. It's mid-December, and with the holiday season on the horizon, something strange afflicts the athletic Ian. I was giving my son a bath. After a while of being leaned over the tub, my back was getting a little bit stiff. I just thought it was because of the position that I was in. I really didn't think anything of it. So I took some anti-inflammatory drugs and thought it'd be gone the next day. But the next day, Ian wakes to the same sensation. I took some more over-the-counter anti-inflammatories just to try to get through the day. Together, the family heads to the local supermarket. Grocery shopping isn't the most relaxing activity, so just trying to get through the market quickly. But I noticed Ian was really slowing me down. I basically could barely walk at all. I was slunched over the shopping cart and kind of moving slowly. This was like nothing I've ever experienced before. Much longer in duration, much more painful. He had been having backaches, but I wonder if he was just being a little dramatic. And it really wasn't that bad. But I was getting irritable. I was snapping at my wife. I was not able to help Julie out at all, and she didn't appreciate that I was in so much pain. It was really frustrating and hard to deal with. He was belligerent, and I thought, what was that all about? And it was very surreal. That wasn't his normal personality. Ian and Julie finish the shopping and sit down for lunch at a nearby cafe. I noticed his eyes were changing. He started leaning over a little bit. All of a sudden, he just went. I dialed 911. It was really scary. Within minutes, paramedics are on the scene. And Ian slowly comes around. For him to pass out like that, it was very confusing and it was very upsetting. I wasn't sure what was going on. I don't really recall anything happening except that the paramedics were there. The paramedics take Ian to the emergency room, where doctors perform multiple tests. The doctor said I had a little bit of a fever, but there was nothing definitive as to what was wrong. 
They thought that this fainting spell was just caused by the back pain and that there was really nothing beyond that. So they gave me some painkillers. Ian's back pains couldn't come at a worse time. We had a trip to California for the holidays planned, and I was thinking, how in the world am I going to make that trip with my back in this state of pain? But with the help of prescription painkillers, Ian powers through the flight. And on Christmas Eve, they all arrive at Julie's family's home just outside of San Francisco, California. My mom was so excited to see the boys. Ian followed behind us slowly. The house was decked out in Christmas decorations and everybody was really happy. But I was miserable. The pain in my back was excruciating. My mom wanted to know what was going on and I remember reassuring her that we had seen the doctor, but I felt that we should make the best of it and make Christmas about the family and not about his mysterious back pain. As best as I could, I tried to keep a smile on my face. And then Christmas rolls around. That Christmas morning, it was very hard to watch everybody opening presents and being in a jovial mood because I was still just in such pain. It was awful. Of course, everyone's staring and wondering what's going on. Ian was there, but not. Then a new problem strikes. I noticed my vision was sort of obscured. And then I asked my mother-in-law, can you hold up some fingers and let me try to figure out how many fingers are in front of her? My vision was like double vision. It seemed really bizarre. As the boys unwrap their Christmas gifts, Ian's distress takes a toll. I wasn't able to focus on being in the holiday spirit at all. It was frustrating. I thought, can you just man up? You know, this is Christmas morning. This Christmas was really becoming sort of a Christmas from hell. For the rest of their holiday trip, Ian suffers through his unusual symptoms. And when they return home to Falls Church, Ian immediately sees his doctor, who makes an unexpected finding. He was listening to my heart, and he said to me, you know you've got a murmur? Heart murmurs are irregular sounds coming from turbulent blood flow within the heart. Although most murmurs are harmless, some can signal a more serious medical condition. I've been subjected to annual physicals throughout my military career. No one's ever told me that I've ever had a heart murmur. An echocardiogram reveals even worse news. They told me that my mitral valve had developed a hole. The mitral valve opens and closes between the left two chambers of the heart. If the valve malfunctions, it can cause heart failure. All this time we were thinking it's in the back. Where did this heart condition come from? I was in such a state of shock. Was I going to lose him? Are they going to fix this? Are my boys going to lose their dad? I felt horrible for not being more compassionate him or understanding of his pain previously. And blood tests reveal a very surprising cause. 
Two hours later, they told me that my mitral valve had developed uh, a hole um, in it due to an infection called bacterial endocarditis. This was a shock. In Ian's case, endocarditis is caused by a particular agent. They told me I had infection of strep viridens. Streptococcus viridens is a highly aggressive bacteria. It had spread throughout my brain, my lungs, my back, which was causing the back pain. I was devastated. It was very confusing and it was very upsetting. We both thought, how, how could this have happened? The Streptococcus viridens bacteria form chains and move through Ian's bloodstream. There, they attack red blood cells and destroy them. The loss of the red blood cells forces the bone marrow into overdrive as it struggles to replace the damaged cells, leading to Ian's unusual back pains. The bacteria also make their way into Ian's heart, colonizing his mitral valve, destroying tissue, and causing the hole. I was only 39 years old. I certainly didn't expect this would happen to me at such a young age. I didn't want to miss watching my kids grow up. Am I going to lose Ian? Am I going to be on my own with these three? What would they do? They wouldn't have a dad. Streptococcus viridens is part of a group of deadly bacteria that collectively is responsible for over 700,000 deaths worldwide every year. If a Streptococcus viridens infection destroys a heart valve, the only effective treatment is open-heart surgery. They told me I had to have heart surgery. I had to do it in order to stay alive. To save Ian's life, doctors whisk him into surgery. And for four hours, they attempt to take out the infected mitral valve. I do remember waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. It felt like forever. And I had picked up some knitting. And I remember knitting and knitting and knitting and knitting and then pulling it all out and then knitting and knitting and just anything to keep my head here. He's really been part of my life more than he hasn't been. <laughs> At last, surgeons are able to extract his damaged mitral valve and replace it with cardiac tissue from a cow. With the operation complete, doctors wheel Ian back to the ICU and give him a specialized antibiotic infusion to battle the remaining bacterial infection. He survived. He didn't look good <laughs> when he came out of surgery. We were scared. But how did Ian contract the Streptococcus viridens infection? Streptococcus viridens is a common bacteria that lives in the mouth, where it doesn't usually do any harm. But in rare instances, it can enter the bloodstream through cuts or scrapes in the mouth. Once inside the body, it can attack blood cells, create lesions in the vital organs like the brain and the heart, and even lead to death. And Ian remembers how he most likely got it. I had a routine dental cleaning in October, and I became symptomatic in December. The doctor told me that the infection had spread to my spine because of my dental cleaning. 
they couldn't say that that was definitely what caused it, but that's the only smoking gun that we really have. After 10 days on the antibiotics, Ian finally makes a turn for the better. And then the back pain did eventually dissipate. He had lost a lot of weight while he was in the hospital, but he wasn't in pain. I was so glad that it was over. At the end of January, Ian finally returns home. It may have been late in coming, but it was the best Christmas gift the family could have received. It was good to be back with my boys. I'm really relieved that I'm still around. Infection with Streptococcus viridens is particularly dangerous for people who already have a heart condition. Because of this, the American Heart Association recommends that people with some pre-existing heart conditions take preventative antibiotics before undergoing certain dental procedures or surgeries. A photographer gets an unwanted Christmas gift. It really piqued my concern. It was not the Christmas that any of us hoped for. I was so afraid. Diana Wilkinson is a 58-year-old business consultant and part-time photographer. She's making a fresh start for herself and has moved from St. Louis, Missouri to the sunny southwest city of Tucson, Arizona. I was totally amazed at the beautiful weather here all year round. I could bike and hike and do just anything I want to do outdoors. But there's one thing that brings her closer to nature. Photography gave me a reason to go out and explore to become more intimate with the land. I like the ability to frame the world the way I see it, in a unique and personal way. Diana's closest friend, Maggie Pearson, is also a huge fan of her work. She's a phenomenal photographer. We both had a love for hiking, photography, art, just being outside. But one evening in October, something wedges between Diana and her passion for photography. I would take my portfolio to art shows. And I was going to an art show at a friend's house, but every time I had to lift something from the car, I just hurt all over. My muscles did not want to move. And I thought this was just the first signs of, you know, coming down with something. But I made it through the show, and I did sell some of my pictures too. Diana takes aspirin for her muscle pain. And the following morning, goes to work. I had lots of writing and editing to do, and it all seemed pretty overwhelming. I had never felt this kind of lethargy before. It was difficult for me to focus. I thought that working a full-time job and then trying to do the art shows was the problem. I really could not work anymore that day, and I had to just go home. For the next three days, Diana works from home treating her mysterious lethargy with over-the-counter medicine. And the following week, she flies to New York for a conference. I got dropped off at my hotel, and all of a sudden, my balance felt off. I had to hold on to the walls. I flopped on the bed, and I turned over on my back, and the ceiling was just spinning. And I thought I was going to throw up. But instead of vomiting, I just had these dry, hacking coughs. And the coughing just wouldn't stop. My whole body was trying to convulse and just force out whatever alien thing was in there. 
I was very worried. The very next day, Diana flies back home to Tucson. I went straight to my doctor's office. She listened to my heart and she checked my ears and my throat and she had x-rays done. The x-rays reveal something disconcerting. The chest x-rays were showing something forming in my lung. She told me that I had pneumonia. Pneumonia is an infection that causes the lungs to fill with fluid. In extreme cases, and particularly in very young and older patients, it can be fatal. I was very concerned since I had been sick now for weeks. Diana starts a course of prescription antibiotics. But three weeks later, something new strikes. I remember waking up in just a pool of sweat. And then I noticed that my stomach hurt all over. And I remember looking down at my stomach and seeing these red, liquidy, boily kind of lesions on either side of my abdomen. These boils were itchy. They were gross, actually. I'm thinking, you know, I'm about one step away from having to call 911 here. But Diana calls her friend Maggie instead. I remember thinking that's odd. I've never heard pneumonia with sores. Maggie heads over to Diana's house, where she notices something even more alarming. When I came to visit Diana, she couldn't take a full breath. It became difficult to breathe because my throat was swelling. It really piqued my concern. Maggie helps Diana out of the house and drives her to the doctor's office. There, Diana undergoes a scan of her lungs. I was quite concerned what this could be meaning. It's the not knowing that is more scary than the knowing. Three days later, with Christmas just over a week away, the results come back. My doctor says, you're seeing the growth of this lesion in your lung. And I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but you've got lung cancer. That did me in. Time stopped. The world changed at that moment for me. I couldn't catch my breath. It was a shock. Who would think of someone so healthy? That evening, Diana shares her unwelcome holiday news. I was looking forward to my family coming here to Tucson for Christmas, but it wasn't going to be. I got out my list of friends and family and started making contact because I didn't want to leave this world and not have had a chance to say goodbye. It's that burden that you're putting on other people. It's probably the worst part of when you're sharing that burden, it's a, that's another layer of responsibility altogether. Diana puts her affairs in order and makes a will. One week later, just two days before Christmas, Maggie takes Diana to the clinic for her lung surgery. There, she meets with Dr. Douglas Lowell of Southwestern Surgery Associates. We could tell from examining that scan that Diana's lesion in her lung was approximately one inch in diameter. And I told her I would look inside around her lung and try to take out most of the tissue. It's very frightening to have someone cut into you. She was very nervous, but was ready. I felt like whatever you need to do to get this beast out of my body, let's do it and do it quick. Dr. Lowell puts Diana under and begins the procedure to remove the growth in her lung. 
We've made two small incisions on the left side of her chest and put a telescope in her. We saw her left lung stuck to the chest wall, which is abnormal. I pulled on the lung with my long forceps. It actually came away from the chest wall and there seemed to be creamy white pus there. A white pus didn't fit for lung cancer. Stunned by this turn of events, Dr. Lowell makes a crucial decision. It looked life-threatening. So we decided to remove that section of lung. Dr. Lowell sends tissue samples to the pathology lab. And when Diana comes to, he gives her some very unexpected results. Diana had a very serious problem. Diana had an infection called valley fever. Valley fever is a life-threatening condition caused by a fungus called Coccidioides imitus. The Coccidioides imitus fungal spores thrive in the warm, moist environment of Diana's lungs. There, they grow into ball-like structures called spherules. Eventually, these structures burst, further spreading the fungus. The fungus also causes abscesses that spew pus and fluid across the lungs, making it harder and harder for Diana to breathe. For Diana, being told that she doesn't have lung cancer should be welcome news, but it isn't. When the coccidioides fungus spreads beyond the lungs and into the bloodstream, the infection can create boils on the skin. And once in the bloodstream, the fungus can also infect the membranes that surround the spinal cord in the brain, leading to meningitis. If not treated, practically 100% of patients with coccidioidal meningitis will die. I was devastated. I cried, you know, I cried. I was stunned, absolutely shocked. Valley fever, it's pretty insidious, and some people don't make it. Doctors put Diana on an antifungal medication called fluconazole and connect her to an oxygen tank. I was so afraid. For two days, Diana fights for her life on a breathing tube. Then Christmas Day rolls around. Here's my holiday. The emotional trauma was probably the worst part of this. And everybody's here and they're holding watch to find out how it all turns out. We didn't know when it would end. It was terrifying. It was not the Christmas that any of us hoped for. But how did Diana contract this deadly disease? The Coccidioides imitus fungus lies dormant in the dry soil of the southwestern United States. When the soil is disturbed, spores can become airborne and enter a victim's lungs. There, the fungus feeds on lung tissue, causing a condition that in some instances ends in death. And Diana recalls one moment when she got a whiff of the Arizona desert. I was outside taking pictures. There was dust storm activity. I remember inhaling some dirt. It is ironic that my reason for being here was the outdoors, and the outdoors is what made me sick. For 10 more days, doctors pump Diana with antifungals and oxygen. Finally, Diana gets the upper hand on the deadly coccidioides fungus, and she can go home. It took a full year for me to get back to my normal self. But I do feel like I'm in the right place, and this is, this is my home. 
Today, despite having lost about 10% of her left lung, Diana is back to exploring the Arizona desert with her camera and her friends. I do count myself very lucky to have Diana in my life. She's always been appreciative of the world around her, but I, I think she sees it differently now. Surviving that year was the best Christmas present I could ever have had. There is no vaccine available for Valley Fever, but there are steps that can be taken to reduce the risk of infection. It is recommended that people living in areas where the Coccidioides imitus fungus is endemic, such as the American Southwest, avoid dust storms and wear masks when exposed to high levels of dust. For more blood-curdling monsters and their hideous habits, visit our website, animalplanet.com slash monsters inside me.